Well, shalom. Thanks. Make me feel at home. Um, I want to teach you all a song first. Tomorrow, come on down and help me lead this song. It's a very simple song. The words in English mean we bring you peace. And that is what we are doing as believers in Jesus. We're, we're bringing a message of peace to a dying world. Amen? So let me teach you this simple song. It's got three simple words. Why don't you repeat with me? The first word is Hevenu. Hevenu. The second word is Shalom. And the third word is Alechem. Havenu Shalom Alechem. And this is a hand clapping song. Be careful on the third word if you're too close to someone, okay? With that Alechem part. All right. Okay. Um, I'll go ahead and start it. Tomorrow and I will start it off. And you can listen and then join with us. This is a hand clapping song. Shalom Alechem Avenu Shalom Alechem Avenu Shalom Alechem Avenu Shalom 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 Alechem Avenu Shalom Alechem Avenu Shalom Alechem Avenu Shalom Alechem Avenu Shalom 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 Alechem Shalom Alechem Avenu shalom alechem, avenu shalom 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 alechem. All right, thank you. Thanks, Tamar. The Clayman families have just been really good friends for years. They have, um, Tamar has interned with Jews for Jesus and done stuff with us for years. And, uh, and I'll tell you a little more about the work that we do in Jews for Jesus. Um, actually, before I start, I wanted to hand out our prayer card. Could I get a couple of volunteers to hand this out? Great. All right. Great. A picture of uh, my family and uh, my wife and my daughter. And I'll tell you a little more later about that. I, <clears throat> I serve, Jackie and I serve in uh, Phoenix with Jews for Jesus. We're down in Phoenix, and been there for about three years. Uh, before that, in Los Angeles for many years, serving as missionaries. So we are missionaries. We bring the gospel to Jewish people. We try to explain the gospel to most Jews who do not believe Jesus is the Messiah. And many Jewish people, when they hear that we are Jews for Jesus, we have Jewish people who say, Jews for Jesus, isn't that a contradiction? Isn't that like saying vegetarians for roast beef? And so they say, how can you be Jewish and believe in Jesus? And I get a chance to explain now. Let's remember all the first Christians were Jews. They lived in Israel. They spoke Hebrew. They celebrated Jewish holidays. I mean, what's more Jewish than believing in the Messiah? But he is for everybody, Jews and non-Jews alike. Amen. And then I tell people where I'm from, though I I've, I've live in Phoenix, I am originally way back a very long time ago from born and raised in San Antonio, Texas. People are surprised to hear there are Jews from Texas. They say, Jews from Texas? I thought all you Jews come from, you know, the Holy Land, Brooklyn. And I say, well, down in Texas, we speak a dialect of Hebrew called Texan Hebrew. We say, shalom, y'all, so it's okay. And I grew up in San Antonio, and I shared last night, my mother is the one who first came to Christ, led me to the Lord when I was nine. 
I saw the reaction of friends and family and kept it a secret for many years. It was in college that I started to really finally grow in Christ. That's where I got discipled and really started to uh, I'd become public about my faith. I say that in college I came out of the closet, with Jesus that is, okay, and then felt God calling me to be a missionary. So I started serving in 1985 and have been serving with Jews for Jesus since then. Why is it that so many Jewish people don't believe in Jesus? Um, I have a clip. Let's see. Go to the next slide. Next slide after that. Next slide after that. Next one. I'm waiting for the Messiah to come in the form of oh, a political stop figure. For a second. Right? So, the Hold it. so the, the Messiah in, okay. in Judaism is a guy who's in Okay, so this is Ben Shapiro, who runs his own conservative talk show. He is an Orthodox Jew, a young man. Very interesting because he has, over the recent period of time, had a lot of evangelical Christians on his show, in which he has this one evangelical Christian, a theologian, who asks him straight out, why is it you don't believe Jesus is the Messiah? And here's what Ben Shapiro says. Go ahead. I'm waiting for the Messiah to come in the form of a political figure, right? So the, so the, the Messiah in, in Judaism is a guy who's going to come back and is going to establish peace in Israel and is going to assure that, that you know, there's, a, there's sort of a happier world with a bunch of political aspects to it, as, as explained by Maimonides. But, <laughs> but that's, that's a different yeah. view uh, than, than a Christian view. So the argument typically made to Jews by Christians on this is that Jews are, it, it's forecast by the Bible. Right. Um, and that's right. and for Jews, we, we have a whole different read when you read the Hebrew about why this may or may not be true. But Christians claim the Old Testament predicts it's going to come. So right. you disagree. Well, I, I disagree because I mean I think a lot of the a lot of the verses that are cited are actually misreads of the Hebrew. So I okay. So he says we're waiting for a different Messiah. We're waiting for someone to come who is going to bring peace on earth. And what about all these prophecies? And he says, well, we have a different read on them. We think that the Hebrew isn't interpreted correctly, he says. So most Jewish people don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, most Jewish people think to, to pray to Jesus is to break the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me, and that he didn't bring the peace that the Messiah was supposed to bring. So Jewish people are raised being taught you don't believe in Jesus. In fact, that it's a sin. It is a sin. To believe in Jesus would be, would be ethnic betrayal, betrayal of our people, of our family, of our God. And so Jewish people are taught that it's a really negative thing to believe in Jesus. There's nothing positive in that. He is not the Messiah. But sadly, Jewish people are not the only people today who are starting to come to this conclusion Jesus can't be the Messiah a theologian who went to Moody Bible Institute, a brilliant individual, excellent writer, went on to get his degree there and went on to Princeton University, where he did his PhD. And at Princeton University, his faith was shipwrecked. And he saw and was taught all of these things about the Bible not being, as he was taught, historically accurate. And he came out of that, and Bart Ehrman published a book that became a bestseller, Misquoting Jesus, in which he said that, he claims that it was people many years later who made Jesus out to be the Messiah, and that he himself never actually claimed that he was, in fact, 
the Messiah. Bart Ehrman went on to publish another uh, best-selling book called How Jesus Became God. How sad that someone who started out as a conservative, Bible-believing evangelical became an agnostic and published two best-selling books. But it's not just liberal Christians and my own Jewish people who are challenging the idea that Jesus is the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. Can you believe that there are even some evangelicals, gospel-preaching, Bible-believing, conservative Christians, and from my own hometown, a Bible preacher who is very much a supporter of Israel, a lover of the Jewish people, has recently published a book in which he says, go to the next slide, in the book Defense of Israel, this writer's, this very public pro-Israel evangelist says, in my book, In Defense of Israel, scripturally it will prove that the Jewish people did not reject Jesus as the Messiah because Jesus did not come to earth to be the Messiah. How sad, coming from an evangelist who preaches the gospel, who has a mega church in San Antonio, and says publicly he loves the Jewish people. And he has a lot of support from many rabbis and Jewish people in this country who say, see, even evangelicals say, we don't have to believe in Jesus. Now I know for sure I don't have to believe in him. It just works against what we're doing. So the question is, is Jesus the Messiah of the Old Testament? I mean, it's being challenged by best-selling liberal Christian authors, by Jewish talk show hosts, and even by very public and well-published evangelicals. Is he the Messiah promised in the Old Testament? What did Jesus say? What did he say about himself? Next slide. Well, let's read his own words from Luke chapter 24, verse 44. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. <clears throat> Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, okay, and the Psalms. Next slide. This is what was written, the Messiah will suffer, rise from the dead on the third day, <clears throat> and re repentance and forgiveness of sins be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Jesus pointed to the Old Testament, what Jewish people call the Tanakh, and look at the way he described it. Next slide. <clears throat> he said, number one, it is the Torah, the law, Law of Moses. Number two, the prophets, the Nevi'im. Think in for Nevi'im. And then he said Psalms, the Law of the Prophets and the Psalms. That's the first book of the writings. That's in Hebrew, Kotvim. So see that Torah, Nevi'im, Kotvim, T-N-K, from which we get the acrostic Tanakh. And that is how Jewish people describe the Old Testament. Remember, Jewish people don't call it the Old Testament because it's not our Old Testament, it's our Bible. Don't call it that. So Jesus pointed to the Jewish scriptures in the exact way Jewish people to this day still describe it and said, they speak of me. They speak of me. And he says, I am located in the pages of the Jewish scriptures. We want today, tonight, this morning, 
to see if that's true. Go to the next slide. So let me ask you three questions. Was Jesus mistaken? Maybe he just made an honest mistake. Maybe he thought he saw himself in that. In his excitement and enthusiasm for the kingdom, he read himself into the scriptures. In which case we have to ask, is there anything else he taught in his ministry that we can trust if he just simply read himself into that? Or maybe he was misleading. He knew he was not the Messiah or not found in the Bible, but he, he tried to, to sway the masses by reading himself into it, in which his very character is called under question. Or maybe number three, Jesus was misquoted. Like Bart Ehrman wrote in his book, Misquoting Jesus, that people 100 years later, 150 years later, read all of these stories into it, in which case we have to ask how can I believe any of the historic reliability of the Bible if some of it is misquoted? Or number four, he is the Messiah. And he is found in the pages of the Jewish scriptures. And we can go there and identify that's Jesus. 100, 700 years before Christ, prophesying the coming of Jesus. Let's see if that's true. That's what I'm going to look at this morning. So let's take a look. Go to the next slide. How can we find out the truth? I want to ask these four questions. Number one, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Where? What does the Jewish scripture say? Number two, how will the Messiah be born? What is the miraculous sign that will accompany his birth to say, this is it, this is the guy? Number three, when? When was the Messiah supposed to be born? So where, how, when, and what? What will the Messiah do? that we know we can identify him. What are his credentials? What are the credentials the Messiah has to present so that we say, this is not opinion, okay? Religious opinion. It's fact. It's prophetic credentials that you can't, like, make a mistake on. So let's look at the first one. Next slide. Number one, where? Where will the Messiah be born? So to this, we turn to Micah chapter 5. Micah chapter 5, verse 2 where we read the prophet Micah saying these words, But you, O Bethlehem, from you shall come forth one for me, for me, who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Next slide. He shall stand and shepherd his flock, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. Hold on to that, okay? I'm going to come back to that. Shepherd his flock. He shall be great to the ends of the earth. So here's the world of Micah. Next slide. So the world of Micah, you had the great Assyrian Empire. They had swept down. They had swooped up the northern ten tribes of Israel. And now they had their eyes set on Judah, the southern kingdom. So the king of Judah is terrified. And he calls in Micah his court prophet. He says, what's going to happen? Am we going to be swept up? Is the end of the Davidic monarchy going to happen because of this Assyrian empire? By the way, can you all see the map okay from where you're at? Okay, from over here I can't quite tell, but great. And so he gives this prophecy, next slide, to give a word of assurance 
to the Jewish people, to the kingdom of Judah. And he says these things. Number one, a king will be born. So he's telling the monarchy of David the kingdom's going to go on. He'll be born in Bethlehem, number two. Number three, he will rule the world. And number four, he will bring world peace. Now grab a hold of this because this is really important. He will rule the world and he will establish world peace. No king on David's throne has ever accomplished that, right? There's never been a world peace. The Roman Empire didn't do it. Uh, there's nobody who's ruled the world from David's throne. So obviously this hasn't happened. So this must be talking about the Messiah. For only the Messiah would accomplish this. Next slide. And he'll be born in Bethlehem, which is interesting because the word Bethlehem is a Hebrew word. It's the word Beit Lechem, Beit Lechem, which means house of bread. Wow, amazing. Look at that. The bread of life is going to be born in a place called the house of bread. Isn't that prophetic? Next slide. And it says, whose goings forth is from, and the Hebrew word is mikadam, which means ancient times, from days of eternity, mimeolam. His goings forth is from ancient times, from days of eternity, which means he doesn't have a beginning. He doesn't have a beginning. Next slide. It means that he eternally existed. He is a divine being. Now, I believe from the Bible that all of us had a point at which we began, okay? We all had a point at which before then we didn't exist. It's not like the, the Mormons, which believe we were like spirit beings up in heaven and came down into... We, we didn't begin before we were created, but only God himself eternally existed. So Micah is telling us Born in Bethlehem, born, but not created. He is God himself. So number one, where? Where? Bethlehem. Born, but not created. Eternally existent. Next slide. Number two, how? So we know he's born in Bethlehem. What's the miraculous sign in which he will, he will be born? Uh, the how. Bethlehem still exists. Bethlehem is on the West Bank. Rashida Tlaib and Omar, Ilhan Omar tried to go visit it, and Israel turned them away. It's a Palestinian city. It's been around for a really long time. What miraculous sign is going to accompany the birth of this Messiah so that we can say this has got to be the Messiah? Next slide. We turn to Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah, a court prophet in the, the monarchy of Ahaz, says that the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask for a sign of the Lord, your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. Ahaz says, no, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Next slide. And he said, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you shall weary my God also? Next slide. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us, Emmanuel. And so we have a prophecy from the prophet Isaiah 
that the Messiah would have a miraculous birth, born of a virgin, which makes sense because in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, in the fall of mankind, God said to Eve, uh, he said the, of the serpent that you, the, the woman shall crush, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. The seed of woman, not the seed of man. A hint, the Messiah would be born of a virgin. Next slide. So we have in this story Israel, the northern kingdom. This is when Israel was around. The northern ten tribes, they were planning to swoop down on Judah, eliminate the monarchy, and take it away, and establish their own puppet government. And Ahaz calls Isaiah in, and Isaiah gives this promise. Next slide. That number one, a child will be born. Number two, he would be God with us, Emmanuel. Number three, next slide, he would be born of a virgin. Not so, say the critics. Hold on, there you go. If you look at your Bible translations, the King James, the New American Standard, the New International Version, and the newest one, the English Standard Version, they all translate this passage a virgin shall conceive. But if you go to some of the less conservative translations, if you look at the Catholic Douay, the Jewish Publication Society, the New Revised Standard, they say a young woman shall conceive. And the next slide. And the reason why is because the Hebrew word alma can be translated virgin, but in modern Hebrew, modern Hebrew, the word means young woman. Therefore, more less conservative translations will tell you a young woman will give birth. And so critics of the Gospels will say Matthew mistranslated the Bible. Ben Shapiro would say that. Um, rabbis would say Christians read into the Old Testament something that was not there. It never says a virgin will give birth. That is a twisted mistranslation of the Hebrew. Go to Israel, learn modern Hebrew. The word alma today means young woman. It doesn't mean virgin, except for one thing. Isaiah didn't speak modern Hebrew. He spoke biblical Hebrew. And in 2,700 years, the Hebrew language has changed I mean, it doesn't mean, all the words don't exactly mean the same thing that it means today. Go to the next slide. I want you to hear Middle English. This is the opening lines to Beowulf. Go ahead. That was gold, Cuny. Okay. Aren't you glad you didn't have to read that in middle school English? So the English language has changed in just, that's just a matter of less than 1,000 years. You can imagine how the Hebrew language has changed in a really long time. But unfortunately... I came with my PowerPoint and my videos, and 
in my cards. I didn't bring a time machine. I can't zap Isaiah here onto the platform and interview him. And if I did, it would be in Hebrew and, and biblical Hebrew, and maybe none of us would understand what he was saying. So I, that's not an option to figure out whether Alma means virgin at the time of Isaiah. However, however, next slide. The Bible in 250 BC was translated into Greek, and the translation is called the Septuagint. They say the story is that 70 rabbis or sages went to Alexandria, Egypt. They translated the Bible into the Greek language. It's still around today. You can find it on the internet. It's available as a PDF or it's searchable. You can still open it up and look at it. It's in Greek. You'll say it's Greek to me, which means you may or may not read it. However, if you look at it, you see that it reads from 250 B.C. to what the Bible says today with almost no changes. The Bible has amazingly been transmitted for a very long time. And when you come to uh, Isaiah 7.14, next slide, you find that the sages translated the word Alma into Parthenos. If that sounds familiar, think Athens, the Parthenon, the temple to the eternal virgin Athena. There it is. They understood 200 years before Christ that word meant virgin birth. And what kind of a miraculous birth would it be if just a young woman had a child? Clearly, Isaiah pointed to a miraculous sign. Number one, born in Bethlehem. Number two, born of a virgin. Number three, next slide, when? When will the Messiah be born? Next slide. My, Micah chapter, Malachi chapter 3 gives this prophecy. He writes, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Malachi chapter 3. Very end of the Old Testament. Last book, 400 years before Christ, we have the very final revelation. Problem. Next slide. Temple was destroyed in 70 AD. Temple was wiped out. The priesthood ended. There are no more sacrifices in Judaism. There is no more temple, which raises the question, what happened? Next slide. We're left with the question, well, did God forget? I mean, he's old. You know, the world's been around a really long time. Maybe he just kind of became absent-minded. He meant to, and he, it slipped his mind. Or he's angry why the Jewish people wouldn't uh, follow his laws, his commandments, and he just decided, forget it. I know I made my promises, but I'm going to renege on those promises. Or number three, he came. God already sent the Messiah. The temple's gone. He must have already come. So number one, where Bethlehem, number two, how, born of a virgin, number three, when, had to be before the, Messiah, before the destruction of the temple. Number four, what? What will the Messiah do? Ben Shapiro and traditional rabbis say he has to bring peace on earth. He has to establish the kingdom, the rule, the reign of peace, and that hasn't happened yet, so he hasn't come. To which I say, 
Look at the whole picture, though. What is everything the Messiah is supposed to do? Before there is peace on earth between man and God, I'm sorry, between man and man, there has to be peace between humanity and God. Look at Isaiah chapter 53. Next slide. Isaiah writes, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. This Messiah was supposed to come and die for our sins. And in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, when the nation of Israel sees the Messiah coming in the clouds of heaven, it says, they shall look upon me whom they have pierced and mourn as one mourns for an only son. When they see him coming, they'll say, he's pierced. That's him. It's that Jesus guy. And so the Messiah first had to suffer and die for our sins. So powerful is Isaiah 53 that there are countless testimonies of Jewish people who have come to believe in Jesus based on this scripture alone. Our chief operating officer, formerly the director of our Israel branch, Dan Sarad, shares in Hebrew with English subtitles. I'm going to show you this clip how he came to believe in Jesus on this one passage alone when in college his girlfriend who ended up becoming his wife showed him Isaiah 53 in the original Hebrew and this Israeli Dan Sarad he's he's our chief operating officer in Jews for Jesus he, it compelled him uh, go ahead and go to the next slide <laughs> שם דינה הראתה לי שבעצם המשיח יבוא, ימות ויסבול עבור החטאים שלנו. הוא יבוא ויסבול בשבילי, הוא ימות עבורי? למה שהוא יעשה דבר כזה? סך הכל אני מאמין שישוע הוא משיח. Could you all read the English? He, so compelling that he said, wow, I've never been shown this. Jesus must be the Messiah. So let's review. Next slide. Where will the Messiah be born? Bethlehem. How? Born of a virgin. When? Before 70 AD. And what? To atone for the sins of Israel. The good news is there are Jewish people who really are open to this. We're finding Jewish people who say, I've never seen this. My rabbi's never shown me this. I've never seen this in the Jewish scriptures. I want to find out more. And so our work in Jews for Jesus is getting a chance to share with people like, like Dan and others who are discovering Christ. Uh, I want to share with you, go to the next slide, a little bit about what we're doing so you can be praying for us. Um, let me do this while I'm talking. Um, we have a great newsletter, and our newsletter will tell you more about Jewish people, the Jewish roots of our faith in Christ, about how you can sensitively share the love of Christ with a Jewish friend or a neighbor. So I want to hand this out. Can I get a couple of volunteers to pass these clipboards around? Thanks. If you want to put your name and email on it, 
or your name and regular mailing address, and we'll send you our newsletter. It'll tell you, like I said, more about Jewish people and what they believe and how to sensitively share the love of Jesus with them. And we send it by email or we send it by regular mail. So just go ahead and put your name and email on there as it comes around. Also, in the lobby, I've got a great book called Witnessing the Jews. And it goes through the branches of Judaism, what Jewish people believe, some sensitive ways you can make friends with them and begin sharing the gospel with them. So I've got that in the lobby as well. Uh, and I'll be back there. So there's my family, Jackie Carey, who doesn't look anything like us. She's adopted, and me. And we live in Phoenix. Jackie came from a Jewish background. She's the only believer in her family. When she came to Christ, her parents sent her to a rabbi to try to prove that she should not believe in Jesus. That didn't work. So they said, okay, now we'll send you to a psychiatrist. They sent her to a psychiatrist. And she went there, and the psychiatrist said, there's nothing wrong with her. And so he sent her back, and they said, fine. And so in the process, Jackie decided to go to Bible college and study theology and go to uh, regular graduate school and study psychology. And she ended up becoming a licensed clinical social worker. For years, she was not able to share the gospel in a clinical situation. Those of you who work in a hospital know what I'm talking about. You can't open the Bible. You can't share your testimony. You can't just pray for somebody. And so when we got married, she said, I want to be a missionary with Jews for Jesus. I'm like, oh, no. Well, what do I do? I said, you make a really good salary. <laughs> said, Maybe you should wait. No, God's called me to be a missionary. I said, oh. And so our executive director said, that's great. We'll provide her support. Bring her on board. And Jackie is so happy. In Phoenix, she's able to freely share the gospel with needy people and minister. And so it's really exciting she just came back from Toronto where she was on the street um, doing street evangelism up in Toronto with our Toronto branch, ministering, sharing the gospel, and had a chance to talk to so many Jewish people. In Phoenix, she gets a chance to go into assisted living facilities because she is a licensed clinical social worker, which has opened up many doors. And she goes in and is able to talk with Jewish people and she's able to share the gospel with these people. And because she's the only one on our missionary staff who um, has these professional credentials, they have flown her to Israel, where they're teaching our uh, Israeli staff how to minister in uh, assisted living facilities, recovering facilities, and to minister to people who are coming through out of addic addiction. It's amazing the Israeli government has opened the door to these facilities knowing we are Messianic Jews. And they said, we just need people to talk to these people. So we started a program in Israel called Larecha, which means to love your neighbor. It comes from the passage to love your neighbor as yourself. And is our opportunity to go minister to people in uh, assisted living facilities, homeless people uh, in Israel. And we have so many opportunities to minister to them and their emotional needs and share the gospel with them. And she has had wonderful opportunities there. In Phoenix, we have a great ministry at Arizona State University. ASU has 83,000 students. Yes, it is the biggest public school in North America. It's huge, of which there's about 3,000 
I believe, <coughs> Jewish students on the, the Tempe campus. And so <coughs> we have a great ministry there. Um, we table and work with other uh, Christian ministries that link us to, to, to Jewish people. And so <coughs> we have a tremendous opportunity there. So pray for us. Pray for our ministry at ASU. Pray for Jackie as she ministers to people and, and goes to meet with them. <coughs> Sorry, pray for our work in Israel, where we have started this new initiative to reach out into uh, the homes of uh, the um, uh, assisted living facilities, addiction recovery facilities, and the uh, homeless. And pray for our work uh, down in Phoenix. So thank you so much. I'll be at the table back there afterwards to talk with you and answer questions. Um, for those of you all who came out last night, thank you so much for a great time. And thank all of you for praying for us and standing with us. And I'll stop and turn over to Pastor Dallas.